0: Welcome to episode three of the podcast. Michael always takes a while to... uh, Oh yeah, the
1: podcast's name is Attack for 20, and uh, your hosts are Yanji and me, Michael. And today we have a special guest.
2: Hello everybody, Brennan Patrick from Arsenal Pass. Nice to be here, Michael. Thank you for letting me stay at your place this week in New York. Cleveland upcoming this weekend, we play the Ohio format. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in Mansfield, Ohio, the Realm Games, they're having a
1: 10K. Um... Yeah, I think, uh, I guess, Jan, do you want to introduce Brendan to the guys who might not know him?
0: Yeah, if uh, <laughs> to formally introduce Brendan, he's a co-host of Arsenal Pass, along with uh, Hayden Dale, uh, finalist for one of the first callings, uh, TC Austin, top eight of the calling Dallas, star of my sleeves that I use. Those uh
2: sleeves are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm I'm working on getting new sleeves for France. I got to actually place the order, I think, uh, this upcoming week. Thanks for coming on our show. You said that you're staying with Michael. So you want to give everyone kind of a little bit insight as to what you're doing in the New York City, New Jersey area.
2: So, yeah, I'm here for a conference this week, mostly for work. Um, but it just lined up really nicely going to Cleveland. It's like significantly easier to go to Cleveland from New York than it is from Dallas. I think that, like, flights recently have been kind of crazy with, like, a lot of cancellations. Yeah, yeah, so it was just way easier to go from New York anyway, so it lined up nice. Um, Did come out here for work. And, like, I just, I've actually, I've been to New York, like, 10 years ago for a college tour (laughs) or something, and I hated it because it was 20 degrees and sunny and windy, and I was just like, this is terrible. (laughs) But I came here a month ago, obviously, for the pro tour, and then again now, and I really like it. Like, I think I'm gonna travel here more often. Um, okay. At least Manhattan, just for visiting. There's something, there's something about the city that just like speaks to my soul. Like the chaos and the, the filth. I just, I love <laughs> the <it>. filth. <laughs> yeah, the filth.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. 20 degrees and windy and sunny sounds great to me.
2: Oh my god, it was the. I can't do that. I can do, <laughs> I can do cold if it's if it looks cold outside. But if it looks warm outside and then it's cold,
0: oh, uh, just... I
2: see. I think it okay. triggers like some animal instinct in me that's just like, get me out of here.
0: It's like shock. For a lot of the people who might be uh, listening to our podcast, maybe they just got into the game a little bit more recently. Um, but you've been playing Flesh and Blood for a pretty long time now. And uh, I mentioned it uh, during the intro that you're one of the finalists for The Calling Austin, which is kind of like when Flesh and Blood first started as a game before it got like a boom in popularity during uh, the COVID kind of era.
2: That calling was like 2019 right that calling was 2019 i think it was in uh it's either in october or september or august <laughs> yeah one of the three <laughs> it's funny that was uh the calling Austin is actually my first card game tournament ever oh really um, yeah i didn't play card games before i just play it. so i picked up flesh and blood by just my local game store is like one of the four stores in america to have it i walked in and just impulse bought some some decks like the old constructed hero decks the ones you could just buy out of the box got some ira decks got a box and then was just playing a lot of tabletop with my partner at the time and fell in love with it um i remember i had a lot of success locally because obviously everybody was terrible um (laughs) and i I went to the i went to the calling austin and the first person i played was sasha markovic and i (laughs) lost and i was like I am screwed. Because basically like I I was like I probably reinforced a ton of just terrible habits and bad ideas yeah. <laughs> in my local scene. Um but yeah, I mean I met James and Sasha there and we really hit it off uh with able to top eight it, you know, lose to Sasha in the finals and then we got we all got dinner after and I think it was like at that dinner I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna commit all this prize money or whatever to just going to New Zealand, which is Probably one of, the, I thought that that was where my story was going to end, right? It was like, I got to play, well, it's like, I got to play this card game and I'm get to, I get to travel this like amazing country for like two weeks that I probably wouldn't have visited for like 10, 20 years or just ever in my life. And that was, that was like an incredible experience, but obviously that has led to a kind of ridiculous life change. Like uh, Flesh and Blood absolutely changed my life. Like I travel all over the U.S. now, um, you know, Hayden and I, we've started Arsenal Pass, um, all this stuff. So my life two years ago was, was massively different. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's and, great.
1: And that when Brendan said James, he actually means James White, which for, for most of us, we call him James White because we don't have that first. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. When I was at Brendan's place uh, after Dallas, uh, I got to see a picture of you yeah. with him,
2: and I guess that was taken at the calling Austin. Yeah, James is uh, he's a really good like he's a really good guy. Like back then. Flesh and blood was very small. Um, so I remember we took him to like this like chain-esque, like a uh, Tex-Mex restaurant. You know, he's from New Zealand and New Zealand has an incredible cuisine and mm-hmm. very good food. And we got him some queso, which is effectively just melted cheese that you eat with like tortilla chips. Wait, it's, lost... it's like
0: four melted cheeses.
2: Yeah. Well, he lost <laughs> his mind. It was like the greatest food he's ever had in his life. He ordered a second, like a second appetizer dish. And he was just like, I'm coming back to Texas just for queso.
0: That's so funny.
2: But, uh, yeah, when I went to the Calling Auckland, he actually, like, drove me to Armouries and stuff. That's great. Like, he oh, picked man, me up and yeah. drove me to Armouries.
0: That's that's so, a great. pretty wild experience.
2: Yeah, different game back then, nice. for
0: sure. That's actually a pretty good segue. I, I think one of the first things that I wanted to kind of ask you about is nowadays, um, especially, like, the higher-level competitive events where, like, in these, like, huge convention center halls, uh, like, hundreds of players, can you just, like, give a, like, a a picture for everyone who's listening, what entering some of like uh, early stages, like what armories maybe were like, and also like what the callings were like.
2: Yeah, and- so armories armories were pretty interesting. I remember we had like bribed like these five kids to like try to show up to our limited armories. Um They did for a bit, but then they stopped. So like armories were like not a thing too. Like we kind of had them near me, but even then not really. And they didn't catch on for like actually a long time. Um, the early calling. So yeah, the calling Austin was 34 people. Um, they actually rented out a conference center, like a venue, and then nobody signed up. I think the pre-signups the pre-sign ups was like three people. <laughs> and so I ended up being in a game store in Austin and they were like wildly unprepared to host this tournament. Yeah. And James, you know, you can, you can really tell flesh and blood that it's been like the ideation behind the game was for it to be successful, was for it to be what it is today. So I remember James was like, much more serious about the tournament than literally everybody in the store who was just like it was just another day in the game store. Yeah. Um but yeah, like 34 people which is yeah, it's got to be one of the softest callings ever, <laughs> but unfortunately there was Mr. Sasha Markovic also there, so um had to beat the embossed to win, which was pretty tough. And yeah, it was just it, it was an interesting time. Nobody really knew how to play. You know, there was there was a massive difference between you know, quote-unquote good players and bad players mm-hmm. so it was quite it, it was pretty reasonable to top eight that tournament um at, i think at the time because your early rounds were, were were relatively easy i think the the craziest thing is i remember back then obviously we all knew about like magic the gathering and grand prix and pro tours and like that was all that was all the future right that was like an idea mm-hmm. um and I really felt like it had the possibility, but there's so much logistics to go into like The partnerships, the venues, the chain of fireball, like none of that existed. Um, and I remember when I first went to the, the the first Vegas calling for the Tales of Warrior World premiere and then the Classic Constructor calling, I felt like that's when it hit me when it's like, okay, this is a thing, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I actually was pretty surprised when you said that you hadn't uh, played any card games prior to Flesh and Blood. I was actually going to ask you about that um a little bit later when we're talking about limited but i think for michael and i like we both have like a mtg background and so it i i would have had like a severe culture shock if, if i was at like a 30 something person event with like the creator of the game it just been like a completely different like experience like tournament experience than what i was used to
2: yeah for sure yeah it's For me, like, that was the biggest tournament I've ever been to, which is pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) And the most serious. It felt serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, obviously nothing like it is today when you you show up to the the Pro Tour. and It's very curated. We have professional judges. We have coverage. We have, like, you know, all these people that... Like, it's so funny that, like, now we have, like, brands that are based in Flesh and Blood. Like, we have entire content creator brands. We have people that have their identities built off the game. It's, like, it's become so much more than just a game.
0: Yeah, that's great. Hopefully still still some growth to come uh yeah, definitely. i wanted to shift gears and talk about podcasting so we're on episode two we're just like starting off but you and hayden have kind of been like running the train uh arsenal pass has to be like definitely the like the one of the most subscribed to podcasts in flesh and blood but also uh probably like one of the longest running ones as well so I, I guess yeah. I wanted to ask you about kind of like how you guys first decided to start like podcasting.
2: Yeah. So it was, uh, it was pretty opportunity based to be honest. I had gotten intro I had, you know, obviously I knew Sasha from these tournaments and Sasha introduced me to Hayden and I casted remotely. I casted like the first Blitz calling and that's where I met Hayden Dale. Um, and we had been in touch after and he had approached me. And like i'd wanted to do content i'd started writing for channel fireball hayden was writing as well which is a bit of an unfulfilling <laughs> occupation to be honest <laughs> is uh writing those articles so it wasn't my thing so like youtube maybe i don't know i'd never done any of that stuff and hayden approached me he's like, like he's so coy about it that's what was funny he's like he's like yeah do you know about any kind of like limited resources as channels for fab like like no 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 i was like I remember eventually he just got around to it, and he was like, "Maybe, maybe we should start one." Like, of <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Um, so, Session Blood, which was—it's funny because Session Blood was—I think that at their at their height, they were a lot smaller than Arsenal Pass is. But you gotta understand, like back then, there was like no content, and they were just super dominant, like mm-hmm. very, very dominant. They were the only podcast, effectively. Um, and they had announced they were going to work for Legendary Studios, which obviously meant that you know, the podcast was going to stop at least in its weekly capacity. Right. And Hayden and I were just like, well, uh, yeah, I guess that that's <laughs> a good opportunity to to hop in here. So we started our podcast. We started with the Monarch limited set review. Our, our initial idea for the podcast was actually just limited. We were just yeah. going to do limited. We we're just going to do draft and we are going to do limited set reviews and that was it. So since then, I think a scope has crept a little bit and the stuff we cover is maybe a bit more broad, <laughs> but yeah, basically we saw an opportunity in the market. Neither of us had podcasted. I don't think neither of us had, were like, you know, put, particularly like podcast maxis or anything. Like this is a really nice form of content, right? We yeah. didn't want to edit videos on YouTube, which unfortunately we do now. <laughs> and we didn't want to have to like do super curated content, which is kind of what we do now anyway.
0: <laughs> so I guess podcasting is the path to doing what you don't want to do.
1: The gateway drug. Yeah, yeah it, it really is the gateway
2: <laughs> drug. I mean, there was a was, yeah, there was a time, I remember it was actually like December 2021, like right when there was like that winter of no fab content. Oh, where Hayden yeah. and I were, yeah, we had committed to like, you know, one gameplay video week, like one other video week, and it was just like, I remember we had a conversation where it's like, why are we doing this? Like the whole reason we did like, we, like the whole, the whole philosophy behind this channel was to not do this. Right. It was like to just do content that we want to, that's impactful. And we like, yeah. had this sort of like quota based content and we actually scaled it back significantly. So like, we still do gameplay. We still do uh, videos outside of the podcast, but not like on a sort of KPI basis anymore, not like mm. one gameplay week or anything like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Because uh, I think for us, since we're also just kind of like starting out, we're hoping to get like some tips and tricks. Like uh, what, what were some of like the early like pitfalls? I know like for us, for example, just like l- listening to our recordings and stuff, I'm finding like things that we can improve on just like talking to each other uh, on yeah. a week to week basis.
2: Yeah. So the easiest one is consistency. So you like literally just have to. Like if you commit to weekly, you do weekly and you release at the same time every week. And that's how you get an audience because your audience will build. So like you, you're you probably going to start out with like a more value oriented podcast. But then over time, you're going to build an audience that just likes you for, for you. And they just listen to you. And they kind of have like a parasocial relationship with with the podcast. And either they listen to it on their work or they listen to it while they mow the lawn, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And those are the people that build the backbone of of what your podcast really is. Um And to get there, I think you have to be consistent and, uh, you know, your personalities have to shine through as well. I think like ultra curated content is good for its use case, but ultimately it doesn't build that deeper connection. So I think consistency and just sort of staying true to like, um, kind of like your mission. (laughs) Like, I think it's important to understand like what, what your podcast is trying to deliver, like what's its core competency, et cetera, et cetera. And then, like audio quality is big. <laughs> we struggled with audio quality for like literally a year. Like it like so many trials and errors, it's such a pain in the butt. But once you get it down, it's done. You never have to touch it again. It is done. Yeah. So, yeah. Um that's those are the biggest ones for me is audio quality and consistency and then just I guess marketing to an extent. So we didn't we were really lucky. We didn't have to do marketing to yeah. an extent because Session Blood stopped and then we came on and we were both like we were at that time, we were both pretty accomplished players, so it was really easy to get like an initial basis, which is the hardest part. Hardest part is at the beginning, getting your initial audience. After that, it's more organic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were lucky to kind of skip that phase. And then, yeah, when we started Arsenal Pass, which I guess is like sixty weeks ago now, or like sixty three, there was there was literally no content. Like if you went on YouTube, you search gameplay, you would find almost no gameplay i
0: remember michael um, so, telling me at the beginning he was like trying yeah. to struggle he was struggling i think he was like looking through these like grainy like low res yeah. uh whatever videos
2: <laughs> yeah low res and like pretty yeah so it'd be like <laughs> the skittle, the kind of like or like the the competitive level levels like varied just like wildly yeah yeah so it was it's it was pretty easy to get into that market i think starting a podcast like or a channel now in flesh and blood Is probably, it's significantly more challenging. It's, I think, but I think it's less challenging if you have accolades, right? So if you have calling wins, stuff like that, if it's just personality based, I think that that's what ultimately will build the sustainable brand, Yeah. but it makes the beginning really hard. And I think the beginning is where everybody quits. (laughs) Yep. All
0: right. Good thing. Good thing. We, we don't have to, we don't have to worry about the first part, although we have to keep winning callings. Otherwise they'll stop listening to us. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, i wanted to just inject a little question that i thought about while you were talking about the early days of podcasting um brendan you mentioned that initially you guys just wanted to focus on limited and i know you kind of have talked about this in the podcast itself but could you kind of just share some of those reasonings with us here
2: yeah so like even back then even though there was almost no content we wanted to focus on a niche right because that that's how you I think that's how you carve out like a market share. It's like you Mm -hmm. figure out like a specific audience that wants a specific thing and you attack that. Because if you just come in, you're like, we're going to be a flesh and blood podcast. It's like about what, right? There's there's actually like now, obviously it's not statistically true, but there's like a million, right? So how do you find one that actually matter? Like that you Mm want to listen to? Because even if people listen to your first episode, it's still an investment. How do you get them to invest their time? And I think if it's like, all right, we're a limited set review. Like, that's an easy flagship product. Maybe not anymore because there's a bunch of them. But back then, like, being the only, like, very, like, curated, you know, you got images, you got video, and it's, like, it's very limited resources-esque, which a lot of people have watched and kind of sort of empathize with. Mm -hmm. Like, that being your flagship product is, like, an easy way to break in. Nowadays, yeah, I mean, you just gotta, like, that's why we... But to answer your question, that's why we focused on limited yeah, like, We saw what limited resources did yep. um and we're like, "Oh, we could do that in flesh and blood." Cuz like if we had approached it <laughs> um, so from the angle that we ended, ended up becoming, right, which is sort of like all-encompassing and more conversational, mm-hmm. I think we might have been less successful because I think the focus and the scope and just like trying to target a specific audience is important and our audience is the one They pushed us to expand, right? So I think that we expanded organically, but initially I think you want to, you want to focus on a niche.
1: Yeah. Limited resources is that magic, the gathering, limited podcast, Marshall Sutcliffe, Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, they are the flagship, like back when I was playing a lot more magic, I would literally listen through every single set Mm -hmm. review and their set reviews are like two hours and a half, two and a half hours. They would rate every single card. Marshall would give a grade, LLC would give a grade. People would make google sheets mm. where they would have all the like this was a thing like so i think that that makes total sense
2: i'm really glad that you guys took that stab i think it was
1: one of the reasons you guys became so
2: successful yeah i mean to put it in perspective i didn't even play magic and i listened to limited resources That's oh crazy. really <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah crazy <laughs> well yeah i've had an interesting relationship with magic i've actually kind of like retroactively like not really gone and played it but just like studied it um mm. Like i went back and like I you know i learned like a bunch of formats via like watching pro tours or like you know uh competitive events around like certain cycles whether it's the standard or modern and like i didn't play any any of that magic like but i know a lot of the formats because i went back and i watched it and i just found like because i i don't know i found this stuff fascinating it's very entertaining and i feel like that's where flesh and blood is going right Mm -hmm. like that's our future that's pretty cool do you
0: do you think it helps you as a player not necessarily Does it, like the study magic.
2: Yeah. So as a player, probably not as like a compet like uh, from a competitive standpoint, but it helps me from like, uh, I think like just perspective, right? And especially as a content creator, because like most, most of flesh and blood has come from that magic base, right? So being able to understand sort of, uh, I think the granularity and the detail of the game, especially its history. So how it's evolved, um, like really helps to make some of the content that we do for flush and blood more palatable
1: Mm. yeah i think there's like a lot of things in magic that we kind of just take for granted in flush and blood just like even things like the tournament structure having a top eight cut like there's just these things that like i think as a former magic player it's just like an easy transition these the callings are just so similar to what grand prix used to be but i feel like like i've had people ask me like oh like what happened in that tournament like did you win i'm like no i just made a top eight. Oh, what's that and i'm like whoa whoa, take a step back what <laughs> so that that
2: is that is kind of cool that you studied I, I totally didn't know that either yeah i did i i'm like i'm one of those players too i didn't know any of that stuff i didn't know what the top eight was yeah i didn't know what swiss was like what is like those words they're funny because they're so <laughs> non-descriptive it's yeah. like what is, what is going on and then i love how like we use a bunch of uh we use a bunch of magic terms right they're like oh like I'm going to have an anthem effect or thought sees you or mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. this, and you like, if you don't know magic, it's like, there's people shortcut a lot of magic, yeah. uh, famous magic cards. It's like Mulligan. Mechanics. Yeah. Mulligan, all that stuff.
0: So you said that you started <clears throat> doing uh, Arsenal Pass as like a limited podcast. We filmed uh, a recorded uh, limit, like a complete uprising or incomplete uprising set review. I don't think that's ever going to get released, but I wanted to get kind of some of your thoughts on uprising. Have you played any drafts so far? I saw it on yeah, Twitter, draft. I saw on Twitter, you posted that you had, a uh, got got a, a little, a little loot, a loot bag of uprising packs.
2: Yep. Yep. I did get, yeah. So we, we all, I only played one draft though. So we ended up opening a lot of our packs that we won in the world premiere because Michael and I both won 6-0 so we had two boxes Michael paper-handed his box in less than five minutes some dude due for a hundred bucks <laughs> which is ridiculous this cause... is Michael Hamilton not me yeah Michael Hamilton which I would have paid like $200 for his box alone he <laughs> was in my house but you know <laughs> money's money so, the story is is like we went six zero. We took, we were taking a picture. Some guy comes up to me and he was like, Hey, Brendan, can I buy your box? It's like, Absolutely not. And he had a hundred bucks in his hand, and Michael literally just gives him his box, <laughs> like, <laughs> doesn't even say anything, just hands him a box, takes the money. I was like, I remember on oh, Sunday, I was God. like stressed to get packed so we, Hayden and I, could do content. And I was, I
0: was like, offering,
2: I think I was offering like 120 at the time. Yeah, I, on Sunday, I probably would have paid 200 bucks, <laughs> like to be honest. I, I remember. I couldn't even buy packs. I I went to Magnolia, like, or not Magnolia, but Minmax. Yeah, one of the stands, and I was like, guys, I will literally pay triple for the packs. I just need six packs, and then like, <laughs> can't sell it to you. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So uprising in general, I like the sealed format. I enjoy it. Uh, it's good. Like I think it's good. I think it's a good sealed format. It feels more welcome to Wraithy. Like, I don't feel like I'm just vomiting my hand every time. Mm-hmm. Like, I might do some blocking. I might have to think about a turn cycle, which is... It's really refreshing coming from Tales of Vario which I think was... It's not the worst... for my In my opinion, it's not the worst, worst sealed format, because I think Arcane Rising will just always take the cake there. <laughs> but uh, I didn't really like... I didn't really like Tales of Vario sealed. Mostly mm-hmm. because... Well, I haven't played it since the Briar Arata. So right. it, it, yeah. I've heard it significantly better, but... Yeah, the sealed format entails I wasn't a fan of, but I really like draft. And in this format, I think it might be the opposite. It's nice. I think I like sealed and I'm not super sure how I feel about draft yet, just because Yeah, well I'm just a little unsure about uh like Dramaye and the archetypes. And also Icelander as well. Like I feel like in Iceland like Iceland is the one that's particularly interesting to me. I just need more exposure to, because I feel like in Icelander there's a big difference between the good cards and the bad cards. Mm. And like, I think that although you can support multiple Icelander, Icelander drafters in a pod, I think that there's, like, one Icelander who has the, the better deck, while the other one is, like, I'm I'm not so sure about yet. And then Jermime just... Yeah, I just don't know how good Phi is. Like, if it's, if it's good enough to sort of kind of be super consistent into draft, et cetera, et cetera. And the archetypes, right? Like, are there sub-archetypes that exist outside of the classes themselves? So, like, one of these would be, like, you know you're like mono centipede because there's no breakers or something yeah yeah yeah. stuff like that so i'm just interested to dive more into it i did like the sealed format even though it did it looked like Phi was pretty dominant in the early days Yep. like i think that Iceland is really good and i think that you know jeremiah can be pretty reasonable if you get the cards as well
0: yeah we also thought that the format felt a lot like wtr Mm -hmm. although the conclusions that we came to i think are a little bit different (laughs)
2: <laughs> what are your what are your conclusions on, on uprising so far? Because you guys have played a lot more limited. I mean, I'm in Jer- I'm so I'm in Jersey. I'm staying with Michael, and I think he's been playing a draft almost every night. <laughs>
0: yeah, we uh so um this will be episode three. In episode two, we kind of go over what our like overall thoughts on draft are. But kind of like um like a brief recap is that I think like the biggest change from uh, uprising to like any of the previous sets is that there's you only draft 42 playable cards mm-hmm. and so You kind of get like our are pigeonholed into like committing into a hero like a lot earlier uh, Especially because kind of like what they the mechanic that they used to offset um The picks like Phoenix flames is really realistically only like good for five
2: Yeah
1: um, yeah, just, there's like no phoenix claim for icelander and also it's like a triple whammy there's less cards through draft the equipment are actually worth a pick and um uh shoot less cards to draft the equipment are actually worth a pick and oh there's less generics like mm-hmm. in welcome to rate you had uh four generics per pack mm-hmm. here you have like one
2: yeah yeah so there's just a lot more pressure to kind of you know pick and then put the blinders on so how do you guys feel about like pack distribution or reading signals because in tales i felt like it was pretty reasonable but in monarch it was wild <laughs> monarch was just like such the wild it was just such a, a wild west format for actually being in the correct hero because sometimes you could get packs with literally all light cards and you're like you know you may be seeing that pack pack you know pick yeah. four, and you're like oh obviously everybody's in shadow here or something like that yeah, but yeah, yeah. the distribution could just be crazy
0: I think the pack breakdown, Michael did the pack breakdown, but like sometimes you get packs that there's just like, there's like four ice cards. Yeah. And yeah. like, and like one two or two ice wizards. generic. Yep. Yeah. And you get like one or two wizard cards. And then so when you like pass the pack, you like, you can pass the pack and then there's still like one or two like good ice cards. So Icelander can look really open. It is kind of like what you're saying, like for Monarch, can be like kind of a toss up. Uh, I think like what like what you're looking for in terms of signals is like a little bit different. At least for me, like the the heroes don't have to be as open, but you got to like get in
2: early. So you okay. think by Pack One. Well, I mean, how deep in a Pack One are you committed to your hero, do you think? Dude, I feel like I'm
0: committing by like pet pick 4.
2: Yeah. Wow. Uh
1: yeah. I I'm on the same page like if uh, I just feel like if you want a three O the draft, mm-hmm. it really rewards people who have kind of picked a few good cards in that hero early and basically quote unquote got rewarded. Um, I've tried staying open and like no matter who
2: I end up going, you just don't get that many picks to kind of dirtle around in this this format what is like the risk portfolio for each hero like are you pretty safe to be into five is it really risky to draft icelander like how bad is it if i you know i draft mm-hmm. icelander and there ends up being like two more and i find out you know maybe pick seven pick eight and i'm like oh god i don't even <laughs> know if my deck's gonna work now And like how does Jermai fit into that too
0: michael do you want to go over your 1.5 yeah
2: I, I, i've talked about the
1: 1.5 2.5 3.5 with brendan but i guess mathematically we can't prove it, but just looking at the breakdown of packs and looking at the last few drafts we've done, I think we've done four or five. um It does feel like the the lowest floor is Dromai. Like mm-hmm. you can get a really bad Dromai deck, almost non playable, non functional Dromai deck, just because there's just nine of. Like if you are the third Dromai drafter, it is possible you don't even have thirty cards. You're forced to play phoenix Flame, not because you want to, but because you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, it just there's just not enough good cards. Um, there's like sand cover on average, so it's going to be like four or five, and I don't think that's a card I want against um non Icelander most of the time. I, want I just don't ever my... want it, yeah. <laughs> I, I i think against Icelander, I could see a world where I want it, but it's just like that the way we've been playing it, maybe it's wrong, maybe we have to like rethink how we uh fundamentally play drill my games, but Ash is usually a little bit out of premium, mm-hmm. um, and then. By that corollary, Icelander would also be basically if Phi has the highest floor like if you're mm. gonna like if you're gonna pivot, um we recommend pivoting into Phi uh, last night I, we did a draft and I ended up pivoting into Icelander. um and I had exactly thirty playables. I like, no sideboard cards like every like um I went in pack three, and I could only have like one off pick and it was one pack that just like didn't have any Icelander cards, and i was so mad because um. It's so hard for you not to have an Icelander card in the pack. I, I ended up being the third Icelander drafter. And that's just like the the fun like the fluctuations. Like I have open packs where you have six Icelander cards. So you have two ice cards in the front, two uh wizard cards in the back, uh the the third random is a wizard card, and then like either a rare or a foil is a wizard. Like you could have seven like theoretically you have seven. Um, but that pack just didn't have any. And then I just had thirty playables and that was just my deck. <laughs> I just don't recommend it. Like
2: mm-hmm.
1: I ended up one going one, two with that deck. Uh, the floor is just so much lower for the other non-fae heroes. And that's just kind of what we think right now. Like, yeah, man, everything is like liable to change.
0: Um, yeah, definitely. One thing that I, I was talking to Michael a little bit earlier uh, today is that, so like normally in three pack formats, so Flesh and Bud hasn't yet done a, a draft format where there's like multiple sets within mm-hmm. the same draft so when you have three packs that are all the same usually it's better to receive good signals to like understand who, who the people are passing you into you are going than it is to send signals and that's just virtue of the fact that two of the packs that's like what's going to affect you and then one of the packs you're going to get affected by what signals you send mm-hmm. um but i think for uprising draft because like the margins are so tight i also feel kind of compelled to like send good signals as well you can ask michael normally i don't like don't care at all about the signals that i send
1: oh yes i have been bamboozled backstabbed (laughs) betrayed i hate getting passed by yanji i have no idea what he's picking i think he's on something and then we end the draft i'm like how
0: (laughs) oh yeah but it's just like but i think uprising really rewards you for like being like a good partner to the person you're passing into I think there was like one draft recently where I got past the pack and there was like two red phi starters plus a blaze headlong and I just picked like a red ice bolt because I just didn't want to like take like pass like good five cards and then have like the person who I'm passing into be five. The person who's passing into me ended up also being like in Phi and he was asking me after the draft how I like dodged like going into draconic to me right now it's the format seems a little uh random I guess is the best way that I can describe it
1: yeah it's uh, I like to call it the the Ixlan format where you just put your head down put your blinders on and yeah cross your fingers and pray and hope hope that you get rewarded and I don't know that's just because like for me winning a draft is the most important part like Mm. like to wanting a draft I think is like that's just that's okay but like I really want to win drafts um and I think that's kind of like I don't know how I feel about winning the draft. Um, like I feel like you can kind of stay a little open and you increase your chances of two winning, but you significantly decrease your chances of three owing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So what
2: do you guys think about so in Tales of Aria, I felt like there was some it was mostly in Seal, but I felt like there were some mildly annoying cards like Channel Maharuk and Awakening. Yeah. yeah. In- yeah. And old to an extent. Yeah. Um, I think in Flesh and Blood traditionally has not had a lot of bombs or massively impactful cards on on their own, like, just their play in kind of like a vacuum. What do you feel about this set? So, like, some cards that sort of stand out to me are, like, Necria Uprising. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, those in particular. Do you, like, how... Are there some powerful cards that you think just sort of stand away from the pack?
0: Dude, Necria is, like, the card... I told Michael, like, I normally... I don't even want to play uh, Dromai... But Necria is like one of the only cards that like makes me like really want to play her. Um, I actually
1: like. It's so funny that you talk about bombs. I actually low key think, Sasser of Sandikai mm-hmm. and Scalefire Cloak are like so the good. mythic bombs. Yeah, <laughs> I think
2: yeah. so too. You got to play them so in every you, game. Do you find yourself picking armor or very early, like pick one a lot? uh so something
1: we did talk about on this episode too but like we think quelling slippers is worth like a patent yeah, yeah. pick one because it's upper duty costs mm-hmm. and then the two i just mentioned sash and um yeah spellfire. spellfire but then also the arm pieces so like Heat Wave is also yeah. like it's just like these cards are like it's so like it's it's weird because we do come from magic but there's no comparison in magic mm-hmm. it's like uh so one of my favorite magic draft formats is called conspiracy mm-hmm. and it's a format where you get to start with these things called conspiracies that oh, yeah. literally just like they're they are not part of your thirty, or your your limited deck. You just get to start the game with them. Like one of like one of the most modest ones is this conspiracy that just lets you start with a one one, defender. Like mm-hmm. you just start the game, at the beginning of your upkeep, just put it put in play. That was like literally one of my favorite cards draft in that format, because it was free. You just started with it. Then the power and... the power
0: level ramps up. Like one of them says, like if you have more than like a certain number of cards in your deck, you, like all your lands are just like rainbow color or something yeah
1: yeah 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 yeah, yeah but that's what these equipment are and yeah. so like for me they are just big bombs although i the one card i thought about when you said like flesh and blood doesn't really have any bombs have you ever been like pl- had soul reaping played against you and yeah, <laughs> <to get>
2: <laughs> Like what?
1: <laughs> so
2: i do i think i dislike i think i dislike awakening more than i i dislike uh soul reaping okay. awakening okay. is just like i really hated that card in the minute it felt like a pivot turn just on a stick yeah. yeah yeah i felt like that card ended up like most times that it played against me just won the game because it would just like go grab a glacial or something yeah. or something yeah. i was just like ugh. that's pretty yeah. funny
0: i actually think i have very rarely picked awakening
2: yeah i've um, never I'd, i've had it like, mostly sealed right it yeah. was i felt like in uh, draft, yeah. i saw something else really nice, but in sealed because i was usually playing briar i was usually playing against like some sort of dinky deck. <laughs> and then like it'd be pretty fair until like it literally wasn't. Or I got like Oak and to be a, like a, but it was mostly Chinama Heroic that I th- you know, I say Awakening was annoying because I think it's like it is annoying. But Channel Maharok was a bit more oppressive. It was like, oh come on. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I so think it's like plus plus nine value. <laughs> I was, like, yeah, get yeah. out of here.
0: I think Uprising doesn't have too many cards that are just like egregiously that just like wreck like your whole turn, kind of like Oak and Old or Channel Mount Heroic Wood. Um I think the it feels like it's value the format feels like a lot of it is value based, but it's like value based over like a much shorter time frame than like WTR games were. Makes if that sense. makes sense.
2: Yeah, it does make sense. And I feel like I sort of experienced that a bit in sealed too. Yeah like it felt grindier but short <laughs> yeah.
1: like there's like there's really just three turns yeah where like, the game is often decided yeah, yeah. but end of turn three cycle three yeah I, I i don't feel like there's as many egregious like myth uh, sorry majestics in the set to to be completely honest um in fact most of the majestics and this is very flush and bloody are just like not playable It's wow. like <laughs> not good at all yeah um like frightmare is literally not even a real card like this style.
0: Yeah, you you can you can attack with a centipede. They like bust it. Then you pop your shoes. Then you pitch another blue. And then you play the prime there. Yeah, that's just
1: a five. Like <laughs> yeah, it's just not like a real card. So like, I, I do actually really enjoy flesh and blood because of that. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: but yeah, to answer your question, like Sash and Spellfire Cloak are like very good. You guys pick it, You guys um. Do you pick Arcane Barrier pretty pretty highly? Like, would you even pick like Tide Slippers? Early. high Wait, flippers, yeah, high flipper, yes, yeah. So, mm-hmm. flippers, yeah, right. and stilettos, yeah. Um... I
0: think for Icelander v. Icelander, you need to have the chest. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. like non-negotiable, but I think for like the other heroes, like Dromai can get arcane barrier through her ash wings. Although ash wings do have like a pretty big liability when attacking into Icelander, but I I feel like the the cards are designed in a way such that you actually most of the time like don't really want an arcane barrier against icelander every turn because you're kind of like playing into her game plan where mm-hmm. she's just like slowing the game down eventually like because you can't like ab you because you can't hit ab3 unless you're playing dromai like you're you're not gonna just like fatigue her out of spells so yeah. she's gonna kill you
1: yeah i don't value it as highly um dromai is an interesting space where she has the easiest access to as much arc- arcane barrier as possible but she has the hardest time pitching for it because her decks are usually like Way more skewed towards red. I think like people are telling me. I, I don't. I haven't played enough to remind but they're telling me like you want like eighteen, nineteen reds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means you only have like one blue in your hand. So if you're pitching reds, AB, it's like such bad value. Uh, Faye, I find the flippers, um, actually not bad because a lot of play patterns. Um, like I'll be pitching two blues, or I'm trying to get to a state where I'm pitching two blues to do all the things on my turn, and I'll usually have like one or two leftover resources. To AB. um I, I board in extra blues against Icelander if I have the flippers. And if I don't, then I just, I'm just going to do my normal game plan most of the time.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about Oasis or Spide?
1: Oh, <laughs> that card's nuts. The, the more I don't get to draft it, which is like every draft now, every draft we do, I see less of it. The first draft I did, I saw three and I passed two of them and I felt so bad. And then the, this most recent draft, I only ever saw one. <laughs> i just snap took it because i was like oh i'm never gonna see it again i was at that point locked in iceland pack 3 and i said it one of those heroes that kind of makes um makes it look a little bit better because especially if i can use it on the first turn if you're attacking me i went second and gained that extra life like these little incremental life point differences are like huge
0: i think um, the sweet yeah. spot i think the sweet spot is like two yeah, I would, I especially want, with like... two quell <laughs> yeah i want like two i want like the number oasis respites i have in my deck to be equal to the number of quell armors that i want to use for
1: quell i to be completely honest i actually kind of started pretty low in oasis respite Mm -hmm. and as i have played it more i i just see like the value like i it's it's usually like uh an extra one life like you can Mm -hmm. finagle your way to have an extra one life pitching that with the blue and quell and that card and i don't know i don't know about you guys but like a lot of these games and limited are getting down to the wire where it's like one or two life Mm -hmm. differences. So I love it because I think it's like kind of flesh and Blood design where uh, this set is definitely a set that rewards you for uh, planning out your turns a little bit more. Like you got to plan out your quell on the opponent's first attack. Mm -hmm. And I love how like it rewards you for having that like foresight. Yeah, that experience. Um, This is definitely not a good like starter set. Like it's not like you if you're a beginner playing this set. You're going to lose some games to yeah. players who just outvalue of quell by like with just like a one or two life point difference. And that could be the game right there. Mm-hmm.
0: The last topic that I wanted to ask Brendan about was kind of there's a lot of events coming up this summer. There's uh, the pro tour in Lyle, Lily, however you pronounce mm-hmm. it, as well as some of some more callings as well as a lot of battle hardens that they've announced. Uh, kind of, w- what are your plans for uh, the summer in and out of Flesh and Blood?
2: Yeah, so it's really interesting, actually. So, um, yeah, like, previously I've kind of gone to everything and, like, started to scale back in terms of, like, Battle Hardens and, like, the Pro Quests. I've been playing, like, you know, like, one, maybe two Pro Quests a season, like, which is kind of a stark difference from traveling to every calling and every Battle Harden and playing, like, five Road to Nationals or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah Um yeah. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to scale it back um a bit and y'all you know, play callings in the area and I think I'm just I'm def, I'm going to play the pro tour but also like I I think I'd want to transfer into like casting. Um, oh. Yeah, I just think it's what I, I think it's like what I'm particularly good at. It's just like talking. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh like I do like I really like playing, I like competing, but it's just like can I I I don't like not being the best and not feeling like i'm the best it's not that i have to win i just have to feel like i can beat anybody in the room mm-hmm. um and that comes with a lot of preparation and i just wonder how like that's much less scalable than just like being the best commentator right <laughs> and yeah. you still get the same lifestyle benefits as yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> you still get the travel yeah. um i mean to be honest you would get paid to travel as well and you still get to see all your friends and like i think it just blends really well with like the current setup that i have in flesh and blood particularly like, with arsenal pass oh yeah um, definitely and then, like, it's also like a personalized thing too, because we're in a like really interesting time, <laughs> um, to be honest, uh, with the current state of like the macro economy. Yeah, and like it's already started to affect my businesses like very significantly, and it it's not necessarily bad, it just like changes the way I have to approach, and I might have to diversify sort of how I invest my time and like what I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, especially when it starts like cranking, because it just started, and I mean this past month has been pretty interesting for me (laughs) like 80% down I lost like you know we lost like uh seven figures of investments like commit that was committed like it was ridiculous (laughs) which is like seriously it's like it sounds like much worse than it than it actually is when it comes like affecting well what we're doing but at the same time like cash flow is going to be king and like liquidity will be king as we head into potentially like a, a bear market even outside of uh you know this will be a bear like we have real estate we have like all, and there's like oh, ge- generational wealth like buy opportunities as well yeah. so like oh yeah just definitely. acquiring yeah just acquiring as much liquidity as possible to take advantage of the opportunity it's like the whole reason that i even pay attention to this stuff is all at all is so that when a time like this comes like i can be ready to take advantage of it right yeah. like this is what be this is what we all prepare for. Like, it's fun when it's a bull market; everybody yeah. makes money. But the reason you do that is so when it becomes a bear, and there's blood—you know, there's blood in the streets—you go, you, you go in, and that's when you buy. Um, so I just want to be prepared for that. I might have to diversify, sort of, some of my businesses and things like that. But yeah, I just don't know if that meshes well with trying to be the best flesh and blood player in the world.
0: <laughs> I I also see it like with like both in flesh and blood, like towards how. Like people's sentiment towards um buying and selling cards as well as like outside oh, yeah. and not all of, like the yeah just like everything
2: yeah i'm not i'm not uh I'm actually not exiting on any of my collectibles right now but uh-huh. like if I had more time and uh and like I think that it would be it would have been smart to even now I don't know what the market looks like right now, but like these past like two three months probably uh selling a lot and then buying back in in like a couple months or something like that because yeah. i think that the collect it, the collectible market should should suffer from the recession right yeah. like it should have but we saw the opposite happen in COVID, so maybe that happens again <laughs> maybe e-com spikes and like you know we have collectibles surge again but i think that overall yeah we might be going into like a little bit of a little bit of a, a valley
0: yeah, yeah all right uh michael did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about
2: no no
1: this has been such a pleasure um i i don't know if we didn't tell the full story but i think one of the reasons why this happened was Mm -hmm. i went to play in a battle harden in in dallas and i flew there from new jersey um brendan is based in dallas and uh at that battle harden i like lose a round to alexander voron and at the same time, I got a message from my from the airline that my flight was canceled. <laughs> it was just like a bad thirty minute stretch, and then Brendan is just like sitting across from me, and you don't say anything at first, Brendan. But then like ten five minutes later, you're like, "You can come stay with me." I'm like kind of stressed because I've never actually had a flight canceled, and oh, I'm yeah. like trying to like book another hotel, but like like same day hotel night booking is just like a little hard. And you're just like, "Hey, you can stay over with me." I'm like. Because we hadn't really talked. Yeah. At that no, point. we no, we actually. That was like our we, first we lit, time really. We, we had literally had not talked. I don't think yeah. before. I
2: think I said hi to you because. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, someone said you were there, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, like, yeah. I didn't even like recognize you because I think, uh, you know, yeah,
1: I, just, I, I think look so much different with glasses, without glasses, and contacts. When yeah. I'm fat, when I'm not. <laughs> haircut with no haircut, like I totally get it. So I was just like so like uh, grateful and then um, since uh, Brendan and I are actually going to be like on we agreed at that time or you invited me to play at the the Ohio Ohio, tournament and I was like oh yeah let's be on the same team for at the time was going to be team blitz now it's a team team uprising unified sealed I guess. And uh and so yeah, I'm so glad that this happened. I'm just grateful. I, I think that's the coolest part about
2: Flesh and Blood honestly. It's the best part by far. Yeah. That's why I'm okay. Like that's why when I look towards my future plans, like what do I actually what do I actually love about this game? I love competing yeah. and I think that competition is like very self actualizing for a person that kind of needs that in their life. Yeah. But at the same time, at the end of the day, bottom line is like it's the people. So yeah. how do I maximize that? Like the EV on people and social experience and like yeah, living yeah. a life that is fulfilling. Yeah, It's like, it's not necessarily being the number one and being a competitor. For some people, it will be. Yeah. So I think that for me, the path to that is that's why I could switch over into something mm-hmm. that's more casting based mm-hmm. or just because I think that that fulfills what is what makes flesh and blood special to me.
0: I don't, well, I don't think that our platform is as big, but I'll be, uh, I'll be pulling for you to. <laughs> To get some gigs at the upcoming events,
2: yeah, hopefully. I just need to. I just need to find a point of contact at the CFB. I've been just going through like some of the other casters so far, yeah. And like, I just need to figure out who runs it and then just talk to them. You know, a I'll, or something.
0: I'll, I'll do some Maybe digging. I, I I might know some people.
2: Oh yeah, be helpful because it. Yeah, I just need to. I just need to figure out who it is and just talk yeah, to. We it. just see like a hashtag. <laughs> ha- into the
0: Hash, booth. Hashtag free Brendan.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Free me from my competitive, my competitive. Limits, my abilities. It's just like, I don't know. It's, I love it, but um, yeah, I'm only interested in competition if I feel like I'm the best and I feel like I yeah. can really compete. And I, I think I can do that with the correct, with the being surrounded by the right people with the right amount of time commitment, mm-hmm. in, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think our testing team, if anything is known for discipline and mm-hmm. like a lot of that organization and sort of system has been built by, mostly myself and uh you know hayden as well and like yeah i just i think that i'm not as naturally talented as like some people you know (laughs) (laughs) so i've just supplemented that with systems right and people and really good players like if there's anything that i can contribute any success to is being surrounded by amazing players right
0: the hard work push you to be good yeah i think hard work is definitely a large part of the battle all right well our podcast we're still i think working on trying to get on spotify but oh, please give us a subscribe on youtube so that we can become searchable uh i don't even think like the notification bell is going to do anything right now <laughs> <laughs> uh but thanks for listening until the next time and
1: uh yeah and we'll see you guys on the next time thanks so much for having us yeah brandon. thanks everybody
0: thanks brandon